Some of y'all have noticed that I've lost a lot of weight. And, and it's not because I'm on a diet or I'm exercising or anything. Y'all, y'all have, and some of y'all have commented, hey, y'all, I see you lost a lot of weight. And uh, some of people I've explained why I've lost a lot of weight. And uh, some people know and some people don't. Um, like I said, it was involuntary. It's not something I'm trying to do. I was perfect the way I was. I don't know. I wasn't trying to lose weight. Um, last November, I was diagnosed with diabetes. So, uh, so I was going through some sy- symptoms before then, and um, part of the symptoms was l- weight loss, and I lost about 25, 30 pounds in a month. <laughs> so so uh, I, I was diagnosed with diabetes last November. Uh, and so that's why I lost a lot of weight. Um, it, I wasn't. It, it, I, I was feeling great. I was feeling fine. I was feeling normal. I had no problems at all. Uh, but my my numbers were way high, double what they should have been. <laughs> and and uh, some uh, sister Dina, my cousin Dina, says if you don't go to the doctor, I'm going to call an ambulance right now. <laughs> and this was at Thanksgiving dinner we had. And of course, I couldn't eat. I said, well, then what am I going to eat? I'm like, you know, this is our Thanksgiving dinner. So I stayed away from all the good stuff. Well, she, she and uh, sister, uh, I call her sister, my cousin Dina, sister Dina, uh, she actually, I said, okay, tomorrow I'm going to go. So we, my wife and I went to, it was a Sunday actually, but we went to the uh, emergency care type places and she met us there. She wasn't gonna make sure I was going, and she was—if I didn't go, she was gonna call an ambulance, go to my house, and pick me up. But she was there to make sure I was there, and that's when I, they diagnosed me with diabetes. And sure enough, I was—it was pretty bad. I was feeling great, but they said it was pretty bad, and of course, they started me on some medic. On a, it's just one pill, so no big deal. One pill, and I started a new diet. So that's that's what I've been going through. And uh, and some of the brethren that know that I, I have diabetes and that have a special, uh, that I have, I try to eat better <laughs> nowadays. Uh, they've been helping me out. Uh, Sister Carolina brings uh, fruit in the after, after the afternoon service. And she brings uh, the good fruit, like uh, blackberries. I can eat berries as much as I want, I think. You know, if that's what I say. And so she brings some of that. And some Sister Sophia also helps out. And uh, some of y'all have been praying that know I've been uh, going through this. So I, I really appreciate that. And, and, and thank you for your attention. And anyways, if you've noticed that I've lost weight and was wondering, well, what's wrong with him? Well, I'm diabetic. And um, as I began to notice uh, the uh, sisters praying and sisters trying to care for me and my wife caring for me, uh, it brought something familiar to me. Something familiar hit me, and I said, man, this, this, this seems familiar. And I began to think, well, I said, well, my dad had diabetes. And, you know, and, and when I used to see, when I was young, I used to see my dad at church, and I would see all the brethren caring for him, tell him, don't eat this, eat this, take care of yourself, praying for him. Of course, my dad was very stubborn, and he would <laughs> just ate whatever he wanted, you know, two or three, a lot of tortillas and, you know, to eat every meal. Uh, I mean, he was very stubborn, but he was, you know, the, the brethren, what I noticed growing up is I saw the brethren always caring for him, and I noticed that in, in, our, in, in, so, in you guys, and I really appreciate it. So it was very familiar when I saw my dad uh, going through this and, and people in the, in the church caring for him. Uh, so I started to remember all these, these, these things from, the, from when I was young in church and, and my dad and, and going through this diabetes. Uh, like I said, he was very stubborn, and some of us, most of our, most of his children uh, inherited that stubbornness. Some of us more than others. Uh, I'm not gonna name names, but but I remember, and I started getting all these memories about my dad and, and his work in church, and 
I remember this very special memory. I had this very special memory that, that, uh, that comes to me every once in a while. And, and I remember this. This happened shortly after he passed away. Uh, we were in Dallas for some reason. I'm not too sure. I was already married, so I guess that's why <laughs> my in-laws live in Dallas. So we were there, and I think they had a, um, a Super Sabbath or something. Some, there was some churches get, get together. And I was just sitting there. I think it was lunchtime, and I was sitting there. And, and I don't know where my wife was. I guess, I'm not sure. But I was there by myself sitting there. And an older gentleman came to me, and he goes, uh, are you Brother Francisco Miguel Banda's grandkid? And I just kind of look at him and kind of smile, because, hey, I look, I'm his grandkid now. I look very young. I mean, if it was one of my siblings, they would have said, you know, you're your brother or something. But he thought I was a grandson, you know. And I, I said, uh, no, no, I'm actually his son. I'm also named Francisco. And he goes, oh, well, I'm, I'm, you look just like him. I, I just wanted to talk to you. I said, oh, well, good to yeah, He said, I knew your father back when in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Now, my parents and some of my older siblings lived in Albuquerque, New Mexico. My father pastored the church there for a little bit. He pastored the church in Albuquerque, New Mexico for, for a couple of years. And uh, so he says, I knew your dad from Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I just want to tell you something. I said, okay, what's up? And he goes, I just want to tell you that I love your father. It was because of him that I came to know the Lord. And I was, wow, I was, you know, it was a a great moment because of anything that anybody can say about somebody else, that would be one of the greatest things that anybody can say about somebody. I love your father. I love you because of you I came to know the Lord. And I guess besides hearing those words and and, and when Jesus comes, well done, my good and faithful servant, or hearing your name called out of, read out of the book of life, this probably would be the other one more thing that you would want to hear in your lifetime is I love you because of you I came to know the Lord. Or I love your church because the because of your church, I came to know the Lord. Oh, I love your ministry because of the ministry that you were involved in. Because of that, I came to know the Lord. That's such a great and powerful uh, statement and comment that I, that I, that I was blown away. And I, I remember it clearly. I remember him telling me that, uh, that he just loved my father because of my father, he came to know the Lord. And it was such a profound thing that he said. And it's so profound in so many levels. I mean, it's just on the... the just the fact that he loved my father for this was, was one, but there's so much levels, levels to this comment, so profound, so deep. Um, it's just hard to, to comprehend until you hear those words coming out of somebody's mouth. So he said, I love your father because, because of him I came to know the Lord. So who is the Lord? What is he talking about? 1 Corinthians 8, 6 says this, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, all things are from him, and we exist for him. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ. All things are through him, and we exist through him. And that's what he's talking about. He says, I came to know Jesus Christ through your father, and I love him because, because, because of that. Now, it's, it's kind of weird. It's kind of, well, what does he really mean? What does he mean he came to know Jesus Christ or he came to know the Lord? What does he mean that, what, what experience did he have with Jesus in his life that it's so profound that, that he utters these words? What role, what important role does Jesus play in his life that, that he has to come to a complete stranger and tell, these, tell him these words? What is it about Jesus Christ? 
Is he a lucky charm? Does he worm around like a, a lucky charm around his neck or a rabbit's foot that, that wherever he goes, he's going to have luck and things are going to go right? He's going to go to Vegas and he's going to win thousands of dollars. He can play the lottery and win money. He's, and is he a luck, lucky charm for him? Is that what Jesus is? Does knowing Jesus Christ mean that he's not going to have any problems in this life? That, that he goes through life, uh, no troubles, no bills. I mean, people don't bother him, don't nag him. He, he doesn't have to work about, worry about other people. He doesn't have, you know, issues with his plumbing and, and his house and his car. Is that what Jesus, knowing Jesus Christ is all about? Does knowing Jesus Christ mean that he has status and wealth? Was that, was that why he was so profoundly moved to say these words? Because he came to know Jesus Christ and now he, he has status in this world and, and he has wealth beyond, beyond uh, anything can imagine? Is that what knowing Jesus Christ is? Is that why he's so happy? Is that why he's so glad that my father brought him to Jesus Christ? Is that what Jesus Christ is all about? So I'm thinking about this idea. Why did knowing the Lord, Jesus Christ, has such an impact in his life? Why is it so profound to him? Why is it so great for him? Why is this experience of knowing Jesus Christ so great for him? I'm hoping to share my thoughts on this. Let's open to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter, is that right? Where's my correct person? Check on here. Chapter, is that correct? Someone that usually corrects me is not here. Chapter 3, verse 10. We're going to start in verse 10. And we don't have a lot of verses, and it's going to be a short sermon. But I hopefully, hopefully that we can, can understand why knowing Jesus Christ for this man was so important, such a great experience in his life. Verse 10, and we're just going to read the first part of verse 10. It says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Ooh, they're under a curse. It's in Greek, and I know Nathalie likes the Greek, and I know I'm going to not say it right, but it's katara in Greek. Now, what does this mean? Uh, I was looking it up in, in Strong's Concordance in the dictionary, and it says an, an execration. Now, what does execration mean? I had to go look that up also. And it means an angry denouncement. It means yelled at angrily. And we've seen this, uh, we see this now going on. In the Latin, it would mean hate or curse. It can be an uh, imprecation which is a damning curse, wishing nothing but ill on another person or another, someone else. That's what this curse means. A pronounced righteous judgment from God. So that's what this curse means. It's almost like a denouncement. Kinda, this is not just silent. This is God speaking it. This is God expressing it. You are under a curse. and It's almost like he's yelling at you angrily. That, that you, there's a judgment from God. So why? So why all who rely on the works of the law are under this curse, this, this announcement, this righteous judgment from God? Is it because the law is corrupt? 
Is it because the law is unjust? Is there a flaw in the law? Did God set us up to, to, lose, to, to fail? Does he hate us that he created this law that we, we cannot, re, that we rely on it, that we are cursed? Is God up there somewhere just waiting for you or waiting for me to rely on this, the works of the law just so he knows I'm going to fail and he's going to strike me down with a, with a lightning bolt? Is that what it means to be cursed for all who rely on works of the law? Are we made to fail? Is this God's some crazy joke? Setting us up to fail? Let's read on. Second part of verse 10 to first part of 11. Because it is written, everyone who does not continue, highlight that, underline it, bold it, put a star next to it, everyone who does not continue doing everything written, Underline everything. Everything written in the book of the law is cursed. Now it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law. So it says, everyone who does not do the law. It says if you do the law. It says if you do not do it, do it, the law continually. And everything that is written in the book of the law is cursed. You're denounced. You become uh, you have, you're under God's righteous judgment, a damning curse, which almost like wishing you ill will, because you do not do everything, continually do everything that is in the law. And it says it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law. <sighs> what does he want from me? I mean, he wants me to do everything in the law, but in then he's telling me that it's clear that if even I try to do everything, I'm still not justified. So what's going on here? What is he? Is he just wants me to fail? Or he just does God does not love me? Does he hate me? But we see here that the law is not corrupt. It's not the law that's corrupt. It's not the law that something's wrong with the law. But could it be? Is it possible that we, well, I won't say we, I'll leave you guys out of it. I'm going to talk for myself. Is it possible that I, that I'm the one that's corrupt, that I'm the one that fails, that I'm the one that doesn't do what I'm supposed to do? Is it I that reject the law? Is it I who has let down God? Is it I who hate God? Because I'm the one that's not doing everything that's in the law. It is I that have failed. And it is not the law that has failed. And I come under that curse. And I come under that righteous judgment of God. I can do 99% of the law. And I will still be under that curse. I will still be denounced angrily by God. And I must... And I will be uh, under his righteous, righteous judgment. And I must admit, and we must admit, and we must face that realization 
that I have earned that curse. That I have earned that judgment. That I have earned death because the wages of sin is death. And I have earned it because I did not keep the law. And it wasn't the law that was flawed. I was flawed. It wasn't the law that failed. I failed. It wasn't the law. It was me. And what a scary thought that is. What what pain it is to realize that I fail. No matter how good I am, no matter how generous I am, no matter what I do, I have fallen short of the glory of God. And judgment will be on me. And that judgment will be no better. It will be the same of the most evil, the most corrupt, the worst person that ever lived. I have earned the same judgment as him because I did not keep the law. Because I'm the one that's corrupt. I'm the one that failed, not the law. What a scary thought that is. And just thinking about it, I'll be horrified stepping outside those doors. If I would close my Bible now and say, I'm done, let's go home. I would not want to step outside the door. How can you face the world knowing that I fall under that judgment? I am the one that's corrupt, and I have failed. It is clear that no one is justified before God by the law. But not because the law is wicked or evil or fell. It's because we just can't keep it. And we got to admit to ourselves, we got to face that, rea- that reality. I'm the one that fell. I'm the one that's facing that judgment. I'm the one that earned death. Second part of 11. Because the righteous will live by faith, but the law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. So it's telling us there is a difference, though. It says the righteous will live by faith. So it's telling you the righteous live by faith and not by the law. You cannot do both. There's a decision here. You either live by faith. Or you live by the law. And we already know whether, if you live by the law, come, what comes with that. It comes a curse because we are not able to keep the law. So we have a choice. Do you live by faith or by the law? But by faith, when we live by the faith, it's faith that, that, that we know that God doesn't hate us. It's a faith that we're, we know that God didn't set us up to fail. It's a faith that we can say it is, it, is, um, it is quite the opposite of those things. It is we live by faith that I know that God loves me. It's a faith that says he, I know he wants us to prosper. It's a faith that says I know that God will justify me, that he will provide a way, that he will give us a gift, that it will come from him on how we will be justified. And it will not be anything in my hands. Nothing I do, but it will be from him, a gift from God himself. 
that would justify us if we live by faith. And that faith is to say, I know God will provide the way. So what is the way? Because it sure is scary knowing that that I am the one that's corrupt, that I am deserving of this judgment of death itself. Because the wages of sin is death. 13. Christ has redeemed us, redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, everyone who is hung by a tree is cursed. So we see here that God has provided a way. God has given us a gift. Nothing we earn, but we, we have earned death. We have earned the judgment. But this is God providing a gift, something you do not have to earn. He has said, I'm giving you a way. And it is Christ himself who is going to die on the cross. He's going to take on our curse. It says becoming a curse. He's not going to become a curse. He's going to take on the curse. The curse that we deserve, the, the penalty that we deserve, death itself, he's going to die. He's going to go to the cross. They're going to nail him to the cross. And he's going to die for you and for me because we deserved it. And he's going to suffer it. The truth we must know is that for us to have peace, for us to have liberty, for us to have a relationship with God, Jesus Christ had to go to the cross and he had to die for you and for me because we deserve that death. And it is a gift from God that he gives us. He provided the way, nothing we earn, nothing we can do, nothing we can say, no way we can serve, but it is gift from God and he provided that gift through Jesus Christ and it is only through Jesus Christ that we are justified before God. And I begin to see that brother. And I begin to see his words. And I begin to understand why he says, I love your father because I came to know the Lord. I see what that means in his life. He understood that gift from God. He understood what role Jesus plays in his life. He understood what the cost was and that he did not have to pay it, but God provided that gift, that justification. Brothers and sisters, I come to you today to tell you, do not take it lightly what Jesus did on the cross. Do not take it lightly what what that means. You've got to really understand this. You've got to understand that you failed God and you deserve death. But God provided a way for you to be justified before him. And that was through Jesus Christ who died on the cross. And that makes it so profound in somebody's life. And when we reach that, that, that level, when we begin to understand what Jesus did, and we begin to understand the role he plays in our lives, and we begin to see how important Jesus Christ is, that our lives become Christ-centered, no longer dependent on what we do, but Christ-centered. It is only through Jesus Christ that we are justified before God. You get this. When we understand that, then Jesus Christ becomes Lord of our life. Now, I would tell you, 
that's a whole other sermon. I'm going to leave it for one of my other brethren. But Jesus becomes Lord in our lives because we understand this. And he becomes to play a big part in our lives and how we live. It's such important that we get that first step right. That we understand that Jesus Christ died. Reality. He died. He had to die. Either that or you have to pay the price. But he, God gave us that way out. God doesn't hate us. God didn't, didn't set us up to fail. He's not making things hard for us. He's saying, here, a gift just for you. And you don't have to do anything except accept Jesus Christ and say, he paid it all. He went to the cross. He paid my debt, and now I am free, free of the shame, free of the guilt, free, free, free to live for God, to make Jesus Lord of our life. And brothers, I would encourage you to, to, to study on that, what the Lord, what Jesus being Lord of your life means. Because now I understand that brother that came to me and said, I love your father because through him I came to know the Lord. Because that plays a big part in our lives and how we live, how we serve, how we interact with each other. And it plays a big part in our relationship with God. And brothers, I just ask that you really look into what role Jesus plays in your life and how profound him dying on the cross really means. Thank you.